Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church New Bern podcast. My name is Paul Scott Chernitsky, and I am joined today by my co-host, Anna. Hey, Paul Scott. I feel like I kind of messed that up because it is our second time recording because I <laughs> forgot to hit record the first time. This is life. But here we are, and I am, you know why I forgot to hit record. Because you're so excited about today's you topic. You already know that because we already recorded that I am so excited because uh, the last summer sermon series uh, is all about trees. Yes, and, it is. And so um, we want to start by uh, just sharing a little bit about what the uh, sermon is about and why it's about trees, but don't give it all away. Okay. It, the sermon series, the summer sermon series, final sermon is from Revelation chapter 22. It is the last book of the Bible, the last chapter of the last book, and it talks about the tree of life. The tree of life, which appears in the first book of the Bible in the second chapter of Genesis. So it's this wonderful circular, in the very beginning, there was a tree of life, and at the end, there is a tree of life. And there are trees throughout the Bible. So I thought this would be a fun thing to talk about. Uh, I thought of the Reverend Dr. Marin Sonstergaard Spray, mm -hmm. because when I, I don't think I'll ever be called upon to do an impression of Marin, mm -hmm. but if I did... What would it? Because I've watched her hundreds of times. I want to. I want to say there are echoes. <laughs> I'm doing hand movements yeah. right now. That so she would always say that there are echoes in the Bible. There are throughout Scripture. There are echoes of all the different kinds of trees. It's a wonderful theme, and I'm sure that there are books written about that. Just as though, I mean, there are books about the birds of the Bible. There, you could write a book about the trees of the Bible. And you brought up uh, this show on cable TV. Well, not in the sermon. Not in the sermon, but, but just us talking about yes, trees just us afterwards. Talking. Yes, which I can't believe is not in the sermon, and I am deeply applauded. You can add it. You can add it for the real life since we recorded early. It may. I mean, there are always edits from the sermon from Thursday to Sunday, and Treehouse Masters may make it into the sermon because that's a man who talks to the trees. Who talks to the trees, which is part of the sermon. And what was silly is I used to live in the Northwest. Mm -hmm. And I have a friend named Scott. And when you talked about the Treehouse Master Show, which I've only seen like twice, um, my friend Scott works for that guy. So he's on the show. It's a great show. I will say we haven't kept up with it in every season, but particularly when our daughter was younger, it was a great television show to watch. I mean, the drama was which tree will be the best. And then they build these elaborate tree houses and... Um, but he, the, he starts out every show by trying to talk to the trees and to find out which one is speaking to him to say, build the tree house here. So I will try to link a picture in the show notes. I'll mm -hmm. have to figure out how to do that. Use Google drive or something, but I will link a picture of me when I was little hiding in my dad's pickup truck with, with my blanket, which were called night nights, of course, uh, of course, uh, as I was probably seven years old and we used to go out into the woods in South Dakota to chop wood for our fireplace mm -hmm. and, and to cut down wood and, and do all that. And I was scared to death of trees. Why? I don't know. I used to hide in the truck. And uh, one time I almost locked the door, you know, I like trying to get yeah. in and out. I almost locked this out in the middle of the forest. Um, but I was so scared of trees for the longest time. Huh. And then I don't know, it sort of faded because uh, I'm well, you know, it didn't fade. I moved to Iowa where there's hardly any trees and mm. uh, grew up there for a little bit. And then, uh, but then in a very pivotal time in my life, moved to Missouri and 
my mother and I, it was just us, and we um, rented a house on 200 acres oh of goodness. trees. And after living in Iowa and not around much trees at all, then all of a sudden we lived in the forest. And I grew up through middle school and high school uh, playing in the forest and climbing trees. Talk, I'm sure I was talking to trees too, yeah. but just like uh, went from a boy scared of trees to a young man that was, you know, climbing to the top of these big trees and like, uh, I'd, I used to love to go really high. I mean, it's probably like, who was watching me? Anyways, I, <laughs> I love to go really high in the trees. And when the wind would move the entire tree, I used yeah. to love to just like feel me move with the actual tree. I understand. Trees, so, it's there. It's a good topic. It's a great topic. Trees are the best. Mm-hmm. So, well, we uh, hope you climb a tree this yeah. week. Why not? Talk to a tree. Talk to a tree. Listen to the trees. Mm-hmm. Ooh, you mentioned in one of your readings in the sermon about uh, aspen leaves oh. making sounds. And I was just back in South Dakota and was hiking, and that's a thing. They do rattle, I think it was the word maybe, but like uh, aspen and spruce trees. Yeah, I love that sound. Um, that's a, You can find recordings of aspen online. And it's amazing. Yeah, good times. Well, we hope you have a great week. And thank you for listening to the podcast and for tuning into YouTube or coming to service in real life. This is the last of the summer sermon series. Yep, next week we go back to 8.30 and 11 o'clock worship. Two services starting next week on September... 11th. 11th, cool. All right, well, have a great week and we'll talk to you next week. To the trees! Let us pray. Great God, we want to be present to your word. We want it to surround us and uplift us and lead us forward. And so we pray for the wisdom to hear the word that you are speaking. And hearing it, Lord, we pray to follow you. We ask it in your name. Amen. Today is the very last sermon in our summer sermon series. It is a text from the book of Revelation. This summer, we've enjoyed spending some time with texts that are not covered in the Revised Common Lectionary, that cycle of readings from the Bible for Sundays that repeats every three years. So next week, we'll be back with a lectionary. We'll be beginning a cycle of readings from the Gospel of Luke. But for today, let us listen for words from the 22nd chapter of Revelation. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there any more. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more night. There need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, for the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. See, I am coming soon. 
Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In 2012, 10 years ago, I went to Ring Lake Ranch in Wyoming for the very first time. This spiritual retreat center, a spiritual place in the wilderness, they call themselves, has a leader for each week. And the speaker, the leader for the week I attended for the first time was a professor and theologian by the name of Belden Lane. He's now retired, but at that time he was the professor of theology and spirituality at St. Louis University. While I've now read and appreciate his books and his writings, at the time, I didn't know anything about him. I'd gone to Ring Lake Ranch that week because it was the week that fit in my schedule. And so I didn't know a whole lot when he started speaking for the first night. And as he began talking about theology and spirituality and being in the wilderness, he began talking about conversations that he would have with trees. At first, I thought it was a metaphor. I thought he was just taking a little bit of creative license. It took me probably about 30 minutes to finally clue in that he wasn't exaggerating. He was talking about, talking to, and listening to trees. He was sharing with us conversations that he had with trees, the things he said to them and the things they said to him. And at first, I'll confess, I thought he might be a little bit off of his rocker. But in all honesty, since then, as I've pondered his practice across the years, I've wondered if he might not have more sense than the rest of us. I believe he might be among the more sensible of our current generation. After all, trees are active participants in the biblical witness. There is the tree of life from our reading today. Our reading today, which comes from the very last chapter of the very last book of the Bible. And we begin the Bible with the same reference. In the second chapter of Genesis, we are told about the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, a tree which is distinct from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that Adam and Eve are not supposed to partake of. The tree of life is also there. It is there in the Garden of Eden. And we now have come full circle to the end of Revelation, and we are back to the tree of life. And in between these two trees of life, there are oaks and sycamores, there are almond trees and olive trees and mustard trees and fig and chestnut and cedar trees. Trees are active in the Bible. As Belden Lane himself reminds us in his book entitled Ravished by Beauty, The Surprising Legacy of Reformed Spirituality. As he introduces that he has conversations with a 100-year-old cottonwood tree he calls grandfather, he writes this. Christians originally learned of the singing, speaking, and feeling power of trees from Scripture itself. Isaiah, like many of the trees, spoke of, like many of the prophets, spoke of trees clapping their hands for joy, while recognizing also the terror exposed stands of Cyprus and the high Judean wind felt. Trees, we're told in Ezekiel, have knowledge of Yahweh. They can grieve and be consoled 
We also learn that in Ezekiel. They readily sing in anticipation of the coming of the king in First Chronicles, and trees speak, of course, in the same way that humans do, through a process of wind passing over cords or membranes like leaves. Anyone, he writes, who has ever camped on a windy night under the singing larches in Glacier National Park will never doubt this fact. Nectarius, he shares, a recently canonized saint in the Orthodox tradition, taught an entire community of nuns on, the, on an island to recognize the differing songs of trees. One of his confreres could graft one sapling to another with amazing skill by carefully discerning the harmony of their songs. Anyone who listened with deliberate skill, he said, could hear the subtle vibrations of circulating sap. He continues to introduce us to his tree. And he says, the tree that has touched me most deeply is a 100-year-old male Eastern cottonwood that I call grandfather. He's a member of the poplar family and his leaves flutter like aspen trees in the slightest breeze. He says, I spend more time with grandfather than I do with most of my friends. He lives in the park across the street from my house. And every evening I go over to him, leaning into his hollow, entering into a practice of contemplative prayer. I let go of thoughts and words, releasing what's been rummaging around inside me during the day. At times, something unexpected arises. Is it something from inside me or inside him? I never know for sure. It may be a feeling of being unaccountably loved in that moment, feeling utterly at home in the hollow of a tree. Trees are significant, and none in the Bible is less significant than the tree of life that is lifted up in the book of Revelation. It is no ordinary tree. While the singular for tree is used in this passage, it is likely multiple trees, for we are told that the tree is on either side of the river and that the trees produce 12 different fruits, one for each month. Fruit that is fed by the water that flows through there. 12 months, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 disciples, and then on the tree, the leaves are for the healing of the nations. And reading about this tree, I cannot help but wonder if John, the author of Revelation, knew more than he thought he knew about trees. Because the singular is used, but there are more than one tree. And I'm wondering about what John knew, what he understood, because we've been learning amazing things about trees in recent years. And they're far more connected than any of us ever previously thought, or I thought any of us previously ever thought. There is, of course, the metaphor, how one tree can do so much, and one tree can represent so many others, like the trees that are being planted in Haiti by a nonprofit that was started with support from this congregation, a nonprofit that in the last 20 to 25 years has planted over 13 million trees in Haiti, a land, a nation that was at one time over 98% deforested. Trees there are holding soil. Trees are rejuvenating people. Trees are fostering communities. So tree in Haiti has a much larger 
picture than all of its individuals. But there's also a science behind this belief that, that trees are far more connected than any of us ever previously thought possible. You have aspen groves, for example, aspen groves where there can be thousands of trees. And yet what we are learning now is that they are not individual trees at all. They are identically genetically one to another. It is one tree that is in the entire grove. One tree, individual trees, but one organism. Or have you read, have you read the research of Suzanne Simard in her book entitled Finding the Mother Tree? She writes that as she began her study of trees, she said the trees soon revealed startling secrets. I discovered that they are in a web of interdependence linked by a system of underground channels where they perceive and connect and relate with an ancient intricacy and wisdom that can no longer be denied. She says, I conducted hundreds of experiments with one discovery leading to the next. And through this quest, I uncovered the lessons of tree to tree communication of the relationships that create a forest society through a cryptic underground fungal network. When I followed the clandestine path of the conversations, I learned that this network is pervasive throughout the entire forest floor, connecting all the trees in a constellation of tree hubs and fungal links. A crude map revealed stunningly that the biggest, oldest timbers, the sources of fungal connections to regenerating seedlings, and not only that, they connect to their neighbors. We're learning so much about trees, about the ways in which they are connected in ways we didn't think possible. Or is it just us that didn't think that was possible? Did the author of Revelation know? Did the authors of scripture have a deeper understanding about trees? Because of course there is knowing and then there is knowing. But I love this image of the trees in Revelation, the tree of life that calls us to see anew, not only the abundance that surrounds us, but the network that connects us. For there are multiple trees in the scripture and one tree all at the same time. And some would say that is the entire theme of the book of Revelation. A reminder that to welcome the kingdom of God vertically, we must first experience and welcome it horizontally. In Revelation, when we get to the good news, there aren't multiple nations, there aren't individual nations, there is one nation, all of the nations. And that's what the tree of life calls us to. That is what this imagery is evoking of one not one defeating another, but all coming together. A bigger understanding, a promise of a new world in the book of Revelation about the nature of community, about connectedness. That's what the tree of life here is all about. It's about connectedness, about the ways in which God calls us together in this one city, a city that does not have a gate, because there is no need for it. There is no need for protection. There is no need for exclusion, for it is all of the nations who are together. The doors are not closed because there is, there, there is not a need for safety. There is no temple even because the life of faith is so integrated that every breath is a prayer. There is health, 
There is hope in this city. This is what God is promising in the kingdom. The author of Revelation ends not with sending us into the weeds, but taking us to the canopy to remind us of that to which we aspire, the hope that sustains us, the roots that go deep, and the fruit that feeds us heart and soul. I don't know Barrett Ingram. He is a Presbyterian minister. He's the pastor of the Clarkson, Clarkton Presbyterian Church. He wrote a devotion this past week that a member of this congregation sent to me. Barrett Ingram writes, the other day as I was searching for a particular quotation, and as so often happens, I came across another that I found intriguing. It was from a French writer. He said, if you want to build a ship, don't herd people together to collect wood. Don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. As I thought about this quote, he wrote, I thought it might strike a little close to home with our various efforts in and on behalf of the church. How much of our time is spent herding people together and assigning tasks and work. But I wonder if amid the tasks and work, we sometimes miss the bigger picture. It's easy to get bogged down in the details and the demands that our priorities become obscured. We lose sight of what we want to do and why we want to do it. What Ingram here references is what I think the author of Revelation is trying to do for us, what the tree of life calls us to remember. And today, what I invite all of us to hold dear, the kingdom of God, where there is no sorrow or sighing, but health and life everlasting. And it's not out there. It's not some far time away. It's here. It begins in the fellowship that we share, the love that holds us together, the waters of baptism. God tells us to start finding this. We look immediately to our front and to our left and to our right. And it's here, friends, so very clearly, so very preciously. As a relative newcomer to this congregation, I've been here just over a year. I want you to hear this and I want you to hear it clearly. You have something special here. I experience it in the way that you love one another, the way that you care for persons within these doors and outside of these doors. I experiencing it in your willingness to learn and to grow in the ways that you listen. We're not perfect here, of course. We're not superheroes. But I believe you have a vision and that you know how to pay attention to the ways that God is working in your midst. And that's not a little thing. That's everything. And we live in a world that doesn't always apply in that way. We live in a world where the news cycles want us to focus on the outrage of the moment and the horror of the day. And sometimes it is outrageous and it is horrible and it's easy to focus on that. But when you are in danger, when you are in danger of falling down that rabbit hole, when the job or the parenting or the homework or the relationship or the illness or the grief or the headlines get to you and it becomes more than you feel like you can withstand, I want you to remember the tree, the tree of life that is surely planted here in your midst, the tree of life that is a gift from God, a fellowship that feeds and welcomes without boundary or expectation. 
When life appears to be overwhelming, I want you to know that there are places, and this is one of them, where there is a welcome that is promised and love is always on the table. It's what the tree of life gives us and what it calls us to share. Trees in the Bible call us back to Genesis. They celebrate God throughout Scripture. Trees are a part of the cross that brings us to eternal life. Trees feed us and give us clean air. And they are an invitation to consider that which is eternal and not bound by time. As Wendell Berry writes, I go among trees and sit still. All my stirring becomes quiet around me like circles on water. My tasks lie in their places where I left them, asleep like cattle. Then what is afraid of me comes and lives in my sight a while. What it fears in me leaves me, and the fear of me leaves it. It sings, and I hear its song. Then what I am afraid of comes. I live for a while in its sight. What I fear in it leaves it, and the fear of it leaves me. It sings, and I hear its song. After days of labor, mute in my consternations, I hear my song at last, and I sing it. As we sing, the day turns, the trees move. May today's tree of life be a reminder of not just what is, but what can be. Remind us of the love of the kingdom that God has knit within each and every one of us that is nourishing our souls. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more night. There will be no need of light or lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And maybe friends, just maybe, the next time you pass a tree that catches your eye, you might want to stop and hear what it has to say. It might or it might not speak, but I know we need to listen. Alleluia. Amen.
Friends, as we leave this place, know that God goes with you. So let us crown all things with love, because that is what binds us together in perfect harmony. May the God of all creation go with us. The mercy of Jesus Christ encourage us, and the Holy Spirit inspire us. Amen.